Welcome to the 36th episode of Rising Tide, the Ocean Podcast. This is David Helvard with my co-host, Vicki Nichols-Goldstein. Hello and welcome. And today we're happy to be talking with Diana and Julia Cohn. Diana is the co-founder and CEO and Julia co-founder and uh, managing director of the Plastic Pollution Coalition, a global alliance of more than 1,200 organizations and businesses in 75 countries working for world free of plastic pollution. So let's start with a basic question. Uh, which one of you is the older sister and uh, who bullied who growing up? Well, I don't know if you can guess, uh, but I am the older sister. This is Diana Cohen. And Julia Cohen here. There's actually a three and a half year difference. Um, but I'm the one who moved to DC and has been working in politics and Diana has been an artist for decades. So people often ha ask that question and they can't tell the difference. So where did you all grow up? We grew up in Los Angeles, California and Southern California and grew up to pretty cool parents. Our dad is a writer and a documentary filmmaker and our mother uh, was a social worker and she was director of the Los Angeles Free Clinic and a number of other nonprofit organizations. Wow. So you sort of grew up in the, uh, in the giving community. Yes, very much. And at the intersection of kind of communications and media and, you know, social justice. So Diana, I remember it's 10 years ago now at a Blue Vision Summit in 2011. Um, you had some amazing hanging tapestries of plastic art. And I'm wondering if it was plastic as sort of a medium for artistic expression uh, when you got into it, were you thinking in terms of the pollution aspect or were you thinking of it more as a uh, art mode? Yeah, it's funny, David, because when I first started making work out of plastic and plastic bags, I actually started out making work out of brown paper bags from the market and deconstructing it along the, the lines and the ways it was glued together and connected and using geometric shapes and then starting to use text I found printed or stamped on the bags, numbers, names of people, names on the uh, underside of the bag. And that morphed into uh, adding a plastic bag that had a botanical image of a plant printed on the side of it from a homeopathic pharmacy in Brussels, Belgium. And sewing, adding a sewing and thread as a device to connect things, but also as a drawing element to the pieces. And when I added that first piece of plastic with the plant printed on it, I thought there's like a deep irony in printing plants and trees and flowers onto plastic bags. And I had this kind of, you know, eureka moment just personally where I thought this is plastic is really interesting. It's a really interesting material. And I would like to explore this more. So that was the beginning of making work out of it. And it was not, I wasn't coming to it at all with any kind of particular agenda or as an activist at the time, I just found it a compelling material. And I hadn't even thought about what it was made out of at the time. And so Julia, you, you went to DC, were you sort of the first one into the policy realm? I moved to DC almost 30 years ago to work in the State Department in the Bill Clinton administration, doing international family planning and reproductive health policy work. And I became the point person on refugee reproductive health. Um, and I feel like what we're doing now is full circle. Um, plastic pollutes at every stage of its life cycle. It contributes to climate change and you know, environmental injustice. And it is a crisis and it is 
totally connected to the movement of people all over the planet because of what's happening with the climate crisis and also people dying of cancers and asthma and you name it who live in the shadow of the petrochemical you know facilities the manufacturing the extraction the waste management and i come at all this from a public health perspective i have a master's in public health so so both of you have come from um different perspectives. How did you join together to launch the Plastic Pollution Coalition? Well, I should just give a little background in that I kept seeing more and more plastic every time I was in the ocean. And when I was 25, I became a PADI, a certified diver. Julia was already a diver and had become one in college. But I kept seeing more and more plastic when I had the opportunity to go dive. And I was pulling it out of the ocean or then I learned how to surf when I was 30. I was longboarding and I was just pulling plastic out of the ocean all the time and tying it to my bikini, my bathing suit, shoving it in my wetsuit, trying to figure out what to do with it when I came out of the water. And a lot of that was prior to making the artwork. So, So as that kind of came together, I started thinking more and more about that material than using the material in my artwork and coming around full circle to seeing that some of the pieces I had made after about eight years started to fissure, um, just some of the bags in some of my pieces. And I thought, does this mean that the plastic is ephemeral and organic like us? What does this mean? And so again, by way of background, I started UCLA as a biology major and tried to dual major in science and art, which was not possible 30 something years ago, but is possible to do now. So coming back full circle, I just, I was looking at this material, I was using it for my artwork, I was seeing more and more of it in the ocean, which was pretty much freaking me out. And the idea of just putting it in a, in a garbage you know, receptacle didn't seem to cut it. And so all of that came together for me. And then I started hearing pretty much Captain Charles Moore out there seemed at the time like a lone voice saying, hey, people, we have a giant problem with plastic in the ocean. There's a giant Great Pacific garbage patch happening. And what are we doing about this? Um, And so I developed a proposal to go out to the Great Pacific garbage patch with a cargo, a container, uh, two decommissioned fishing trawlers, a chipping machine, a cold molding machine, a crane. I had this whole idea I wanted to go out, but, but from an artist's point of view, collect what I thought was an island floating on the surface of the water, which we understand now it is not, you know, and um, retrieve that, chip it up, cold mold it, make bricks out of it, make artwork out of it, bring friends from Los Angeles and from Southern California, people involved in the entertainment industry and film and music with me and surfers, professional surfers who are friends who had been seeing this the the onslaught of this coming. And so the idea was to go out and clean it up. And then as I was moving forward with that and talking to more advisors and people who had actually been looking at plastic in the ocean, I realized that this was a Sisyphusian task and I needed to go back to the drawing board and, and look at a bigger picture of the whole problem, like systemically, and think about where the source points were and how we were going to be able to actually stop it at different source points. So I kind of bagged my idea to go clean it up and traded that in. <laughs> yeah, I bagged it. I bagged that idea and I traded that in for going to, to, for coming together with others and figuring out a way to create a coalition, a group of people who are all looking at the problem so that we could unite together and create the Plastic Pollution Coalition. Well, and just to add some, some outside 
decoration to that. Diana, you know, became somewhat obsessed with cleaning up the Great Pacific Garbage Patch when she first learned about it. So therefore I learned about it as a result and, you know, and felt like everybody was just learning about it. Not even everybody, because so many people still hadn't heard what was, you know, going on. And here I was in Washington, D.C., working in different coalitions and running coalitions. I ran the Youth Vote Coalition in the 2000 elections with thousands of groups, youth groups, um, working to engage young people in the civic process and vote in the, those elections and had worked in other coalitions in the reproductive health world and international family planning, et cetera. And Deanna got invited to a meeting at Google when they were creating Google Oceans and met other people who also were similarly concerned who were coming from very different backgrounds as well. So there are actually five co-founders of Plastic Pollution Coalition um, who all brought different, you know, perspectives and ideas and, and you know, influence to this idea coming together. Um, but Diana told me about that meeting. We were together shortly thereafter. And I said, it sounds like you need a coalition. And, and I basically said to my sister, what's a coalition? And she said, do you remember when you worked with me on these different projects? I, that's what I was doing. I was running a coalition. And I was like, okay, I get it. I see. I see the value in this. And so we... It's funny because we spent multiple days trying to come up with what to call Plastic Pollution Coalition <laughs> and writing things all over different big pieces of paper and discussing it, pros and cons, back and forth. And we finally decided... Oh, oh wait, what were some of the rejects? <laughs> oh, I don't remember the rejects. But you know what we finally came to is that we need to call it what it is at the time and that you know at that time, everybody was referring to whatever this was in the ocean as marine debris. Right. And that's just not descriptive enough to tell you what's going on. And for us in our childhood growing up, marine debris was, you know, palm fronds. And if you were Driftwood lucky, and if you were lucky, it was some sea glass, magical sea glass that you found, you know, like that was everything was natural. It was natural materials, seaweed and driftwood and, you know, seashells and various things that we're all organic and natural and we're going to break down. So plastic was this material that wasn't breaking down and suddenly we're finding a lot of it in the ocean. And I think within the next year after we founded the coalition and I was invited to give this Ted talk on mission blue with Sylvia uh, Earl, you know, uh, one of the things that I thought it was important to say when I was given the opportunity to give a short talk was that, we, you know, the definition, well, first of all, what we're finding in the ocean, the marine debris that we're finding in the ocean, 70 to 90% of it is plastic, 70 to 90%. And so if that, in fact, is the case, why are we calling it this euphemistic kind of vague marine debris? And when you read the definition of marine debris that NOAA uses and the government use, it doesn't include the word plastic either. And yet this huge amount large percentage of it is plastic. Majority. Yeah. That, so that is why we felt it was really important to call the coalition that we were creating a coalition that had the word plastic in it. And then we thought it was really important to add the word pollution because together that is what's happening. You know, it becomes this kind of instant plastic pollution. And so that was a, that was a very specific decision that we all came to. What year was that? That was 2009. 2009. Plastic pollution of the ocean is one of those things that has become universally recognized, if not yet dealt with. Um, why do you think that is? Is it just because 
plastic is so ubiquitous in our lives. Uh, it's certainly become a youth cause that uh, you've helped spawn. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I think we have helped contribute to that awareness, but part of it is that it is just growing exponentially and we're all drowning in it. And it's global, it's worldwide, it's every affecting every community everywhere in the world and disproportionately fence line, frontline communities in the United States, in Southeast Asia, and the, you know, you name it. And, you know, Dion and I have been collaborating since we were young children, stuffing envelopes together at the LA Free Clinic, uh, selling her artwork at fundraisers when we were in elementary school. Um, and she referred to, you know, helping me with other coalition work I did. You know, I definitely tapped everyone, including my family and especially Diana, for help when I was working to in engage people's hearts and minds on whatever the issue was, whether it's, you know, refugee reproductive health or international family planning or youth civic engagement. And, um, and so we've come to this point where, you know, there now is in a massive movement that, you know, is connecting dots and the intersectionality of the climate movement and the environmental justice movement. And, you know, we stand on the shoulders of, of giants who have been at this for a long time and, you know, ocean activists, et cetera. And, you know, we're extremely grateful for everything everyone is, has done. And now what so many amazing groups and people are, are doing um, together you know, with the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act, with Break Free from Plastic movement that, you know, Diana was at the very first meetings before it was ever even called that, um, helping write the Tagaite strategy that it's all based on, um, and, you know, funneling private individuals' money into supporting all of this and helping get the word out and helping fund other small groups and individuals around the world, amazing young people and activists, and you know, raising their voices and helping connect all the dots. So I am a member of the Inland Ocean Coalition of the Plastic Pollution Coalition, but a lot of our listeners might not be familiar with it. So can you tell us more about your mission, how you go about your work, and what your goals are? Our mission is to stop plastic pollution and to raise awareness about the toxic impact on human health, animal health, the ocean, waterways, and the environment, which is, you know, it's a massive task. Um, but we like to look at it as an exciting challenge. And the ways that we go about doing that are we raise awareness, we educate people. So we educate people at all different levels. Uh, we've created a pretty big resource section, which we're in the process of revamping to make it even easier to use and um, done that by calling and reaching out to coalition members to help share tools and guides and various, you know, curriculum, et cetera, that they've created uh, and try and make a place where people can locate it all so that they can access it. And films and books and draft policies, et cetera. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just at one level, but what we did when we created the coalition is we looked at all the different points that it, it, we, we saw it was important to focus energy. So not just individual behavior, but also um, you know, community behavior in terms of if you're a student in school or if you have 
children in school, what you could do looking at that school and the process at the school. If you own a business or if you work for a business or if you create products, looking in all of those different spaces and places and how all of that comes together, as well as creating and supporting policy and legislation so that we can change laws that help support what we need to move towards, which is um, refillable, reusable, really rethinking this idea of single use across the board. And let's see. Well, we refer to it as that we educate, connect, and advocate for a more just and equitable world free of single-use disposable plastic. As the coalition has grown so big, I mean, the Teamsters and the Girl Scouts joined the same day, right? I mean, it's a diverse coalition and we now have nearly as many businesses as we do NGOs. So, and it's all, there's like 40 different straw producers, straw, straws, seaweed straws, glass straws, stainless steel straws. And how do we continue to really connect everyone? Lots of folks don't know about each other's efforts and it's really important that, the business community knows, you know, our audience and our audience knows, you know, what are solutions? What are alternatives when it comes to individual or family, you know, or community behavior change? But, you know, key to all of this and, you know, being in D.C. is where are our tax dollars going to be a part of the solution or a part of the problem? I know that the former president was at the inauguration of another petrochemical plant producing plastic outside of Pittsburgh and they're moving yeah. from uh, oil to plastic in many parts of the world. When uh, the former president went there, coincided with one of the last in-person meetings I was at that was in Pittsburgh for the Break Free from Plastic movement for the U.S. arm. Um, and on the last day of that gathering, there was not only, um, you know, kind of uh, a water ceremony, but there was also a protest um, <laughs> So uh, the timing was um, nothing but, uh, you know, ironic. Um, it was kind of ideal timing. It was ideal. Um, and then, you know, fracking, the fracking industry, plastic is their plan B, right? I mean, I mean they're do- a lot of the fracking is to make single-use plastic water bottles. So, um, I, you know, I think in general, your average person still is unaware yet that Plastic is made from petroleum and chemicals uh, from processing petroleum or chemicals like bisphenols and phthalates, which are endocrine disruptors and affect our endocrine system. This is part of why the whole thing is full circle for Julia and I. Our mother um, was diagnosed with breast cancer that was estrogen receptive when we were teenagers and she passed away while we were teenagers and she was young. She was 42. Um, you know, that doesn't mean very much to you that something is, is estrogenic or, you know, that it's impacted by endocrine disruptors when you're a teenager. But as you get older, and particularly if you find yourself in the line of work that we find ourselves in now, uh, and learning about the human health impact of our exposure to plastics and the chemicals that leach from plastics into us, into our bodies, into our food, et cetera, We've come to understand that these chemicals like BPA and BPA substitutes have been linked to breast cancer, brain cancer, or prostate cancer, to diabetes and obesity, and to lower sexual function, sterility, and infertility, and many other things as well, especially for babies exposed in utero. So this is this should be a wake-up call for everybody, that it's not just plastic, which is a problem that needs to be cleaned up or that might be unsightly because it's on a beach somewhere or might be impacting or disproportionately impacting BIPOC communities and 
frontline communities from extraction through manufacturing and incineration. This is also a problem when we make choices every day. All of us, when we go to the market, when we buy food for our food, our beverages, our beauty products, our health products, this is a real problem. And we are exposing ourselves to the chemicals in plastic. Talk a little about industry backlash, the greenwashing, or really I'd call it blue washing, uh, with a new emphasis that seems to come every time they're under pressure of recycling, that it's really about us, the consumer, and recycling, and that's the answer to plastic pollution. Well, I just, you know, let's back up and just look historically at the creation of Keep America Beautiful and um, the messaging around give a hoot, don't pollute, don't be a litter bug, and the crying commer- the commercial with the crying actor who was portraying a Native American. Cody um, Iron Horse. Yeah. Uh, you know, who I believe was Italian. Um, Anyway, you know, not important to it, but that commercial really the, the, the talking point at the end of that PSA is people start pollution, people can stop it. And I think that that campaign by industry, because industry is the board of and created Keep America Beautiful, that move was a very intentional uh, strategy and shift. And actually, there's a wonderful, very well-written piece about it called A Beautiful Evil Strategy, which we got permission to share on our website. Um, but, you know, important to note that that is when industry made a very conscious strategic decision to shift the burden for pollution onto the public and onto people and move it away from themselves. So it's kind of like, you know, a shell game. Recycling helps keep businesses doing business as usual. Yeah, it keeps the manufacturing can can expand and increase because it's just, it's going to be recycled. It's going to be recycled. And that when you have conversations with people who are like, wait, you're telling me plastic recycling like doesn't work. And I mean, at most in the history of plastic recycling, at the most 9% has been recycled. At the most, those numbers haven't been adjusted. And we work with another coalition member, former uh, chemical engineer who's run the latest data, government data. And she says, we're talking like, you know, for, for maybe 5% or less. Well, she, she said that back in 2018, when China implemented what's called the China sword, which is they said, we're not taking your plastics anymore to be recycled over here. We don't need it. Pretty much we're creating enough of our own. (laughs) So, you know, when they said that she did the numbers and her calculation was that by the end of 2018 with the China sword, that recycling rates in the the United States would drop from just under 9% to 4.4%. And that if it continued by the end of 2019, it would drop to 2.8%. 8% or 2.6%. I mean, it was pre- it's pretty abysmal numbers. So there's not exactly reality there. And if you watch a documentary film like the PBS frontline piece, Plastic Wars, they talk about and revealed paperwork and spoke with former employees of the petrochemical industry who said, this is what we roll out every time. We just launch like a big PR campaign and build a new recycling facility. And then it goes away for a little while. Yeah. So they're all for government subsidies of waste to energy, incineration, pyrolysis all over the world because it's more new business for them. I mean, the whole thing comes down to infrastructure, right? All of this comes down to infrastructure. So years ago, we had infrastructure that 
sterilized glass bottles and refilled them locally. And then people purchased beverages in them again. And that's a beautiful system. Or even made the glass bottles in this country. Right. (laughs) And those were beautiful systems because we were reusing something hundreds, if not thousands of times, if they didn't get broken. And they were not leaching any kind of chemicals into the beverage. I'm not going to discuss whether the beverage was good for people or not that was within it, but that's a different story. So, you know, that's a beautiful thing and something that can be done in a more localized loop or system if you have the infrastructure to support it. What's ended up happening is that a lot of big corporations have been either complicit or uh, you know, proactive in dismantling refill systems, deposit ref- return, you know, all systems. of that or fighting against it when it's passed. Okay. Well, nobody ever said that the, uh, you know, that the solution was recycling asbestos or recycling DDT. So let's assume recycling is not the answer to plastic. We now have a Biden administration, new administration, new Congress, and uh, some new legislation around plastic. Why don't you tell us what that is and how you feel about it? (laughs) (laughs) We're both looking at each other going, you want to go first? I'll go first. You go first. Um, So the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act, which we have been involved in, you know, from the early days when it was first introduced in February of, was it 2019? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And and then reintroduced in March of 2020, um, with a new lead co-sponsor. Um, and when, when Senator Udall retired and Senator Berkeley, um, you know, jumped on the bandwagon, you know, with his history from Oregon of, you know, introducing one of the first bottle deposit systems and being so committed and involved in this from, you know, his youth, um, I feel like it has only gotten stronger when it was reintroduced. Um, and, you know, parts of it um, may get included in other bills that are being talked about right now. It includes, you know, federal uh, deposit return schemes. It includes no more petrochemical buildouts, a moratorium on new, you know, builds. It includes, um, you know, support for like Basel Convention International Treaty and global policy engagement from the U.S. who, you know, for the past four years previously were one of the few Western countries not being a leader um, in all the international negotiations. So how do you see the Break Free from Plastics Act, which I am a huge supporter of, moving forward? Well, first of all, it's the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. Plastic pollution. Correct. Sorry about that. Yes. Sorry. I think there is momentum. There, there are more and more, um, there's over 100 co-sponsors. The majority of them, if not all, I'm pretty sure probably all, no, still, all, all, all are Democrats. 110. It's, it may be higher now. Um, and I think we have almost all of the previous co-sponsors. We're looking for you know, anybody who sponsored it before, if they're not on it again, hopefully that's just an administrative oversight. Um, but, you know, who are our allies on the other side of the aisle, right? And we're in, in search of those. I mean, plastic doesn't, plastic pollution doesn't discriminate. The chemicals and the toxic impact don't discriminate. Well, and the fact that we're finding plastic and microplastics and microfibers in, you know, 
in our water, in the top 25 brands of bottled water, in our tap water, in beer, in salt, we're finding it in Mount ice, Everest, in ice core Mariana samples, Trench. in the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Like it's, it's everywhere. There it's is the no human placenta. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. They found it in human placenta, both on the mother's side and the baby's side. And they've also found it now in lungs and lung tissue. So, I mean, it, this, it's plastic, not partisan. Plastic pollution is not a partisan issue. And it impacts everyone. So I would imagine that everyone in the United States, including all of our representatives, would be in favor of a plastic pollution-free America. And that is what we're working towards. Where do people go to learn more about the coalition? Well, of course, there's our website, plasticpollutioncoalition.com. .org. .org. Thank you. <laughs> wow. And, um, and I, it, it may redirect because <laughs> I think you can go to both, but, um, that's, you know, the number one place to go, plasticpolutioncoalition.org. Well, you guys have been just amazing leaders within the space of plastic pollution and really gathering up all of this, uh, all the energies from different communities, um, different states, Colorado just passed a preemption. So we were finally able to get rid of preemption. And we have a new piece of legislation to ban polystyrene and single-use plastics. And so what you're doing is taking what people are doing around the country and around the world and really elevating it. So I'm hopeful that with all of your hard work, we will start moving into a more plastic-free lifestyle. And um, just we love being connected with you. You guys are just awesome. So again, thank you for joining us on Rising Tide. Thank you for having us. And now a word from our sponsor. Oil and gas is what plastic is made of. Single-use fossil fuel plastic can't be thrown away because there is no way, and less than 9% of it gets recycled. Instead, the ocean has become a dumping ground for plastic waste that kills millions of seabirds, whales and turtles, dolphins, and other animals every year. Synthetic plastic is also accumulating in the human body with unknown health impacts. That's why the Sierra Club Marine Team suggests a few simple things you can do. Reduce your personal use of plastic, encourage friends and family to do the same, and support the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act and that will hold the petrochemical industry responsible for what it produces. The Sierra Club Marine Team, because 71% of the environment is salty. Rising Tide is a production of Blue Frontier with hosts David Helvarg and Vicki Nichols-Goldstein and with the support of Natasha Benjamin and Ellie Curlow.